Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. When we think about Christian or other religious voters, oftentimes we think about issues like abortion or LGBTQ rights. But one leading Christian writer and activist says racism is a central religious issue in this election. Sojourner's founder and editor-in-chief Jim Wallace is urging faith voters to put racism at or near the top of their list in terms of issues that should decide their votes. Wallace, who's also a Detroit native, joins me now to talk about the role of religious voters in 2020 and why he thinks racial justice issues should be their top priority on the ballot. Jim Wallace, welcome back to Detroit Today. It's always great to come home. Especially yes. to talk to you. <laughs> no, it's always great to have you with us. So when we talk about faith voters, who are we talking about? Well, you laid it out pretty well there. Um, in the media, they often say evangelicals. and uh, But what they really mean is white evangelicals. Mm -hmm. Let's be honest here, what we're often talking about. So uh, the faith community is rising in this election to defend faith. And I am an evangelical. I go back to that, my tradition in Detroit. <laughs> so let's go to the Bible. That's what we always say, right? Mm -hmm. So the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, talks about how God, it says, then God said, I love that, in all the noise we have right going on, then God said, God created us all, all human beings, in God's image and likeness. That's what it says. Imago Dei is the word, the mm -hmm. Latin word. And that's the foundation for all the politics of people, people of faith. So, so when, when, uh, uh, when the image of God is at stake in which voters are being suppressed or intimidated because of the color of their skin or, or racialized policing or all of that, this is not a political issue. It's theological. Mm -hmm. It's theological. And so to me, the image of God is really at stake here in this election. So when a president uh, won't, won't condemn white supremacy, or when he calls out white supremacists, he did, and you in my home state of Michigan have been feeling all that with the threat to the governor and the rest. Mm -hmm. These are image of God issues. These are theological issues. So while abortion, religious liberty... Those questions are real and important, and we can deal with those. I'm saying, and a lot of us are saying around the country, that racism, racism is an essential religious issue in this election. And I see that happening all over the country, changing the narrative of what the religious issues are, because it ties to everything else, immigration, housing, education, economics, as you know so well. And COVID has revealed, has documented, has verified our racial inequities all over the country. And while we were watching because of COVID, while watching our screens, watching at home, uh, we, we saw what happened in Minneapolis. And all of a sudden, black Christians especially, and their, they saw themselves under that white police knee and their kids under that white, white police knee. And a whole lot of white people, white Christians, began to see, wait a minute, what's going on here? And for the first time in a long time, a lot of white, white Christians understood that that eight minutes and 46 seconds of watching the killing of George Floyd 
really led to a conversation of the past 401 years. Mm. It's an amazing moment of reckoning, and that, I think, will put racism, and I've been doing this with Christian radio, Christian TV, too. I said, it's right up there, top tier, A tier, along with anything else you think is an issue. If racism is not an issue in this election, we're not seeing how racism is a deal-breaker for the gospel. And and so talk about when we talk about religious voters and we think of white evangelicals or other religious voters, how likely it is that they will take racism and racial inequality into account in their votes. I think that's a really that's a really high hurdle for white evangelicals. They don't think of race or racism in religious terms. You're exactly right, and that's why this is a a moment of reckoning for the churches. Uh, Let me just be real clear here. When when you say white evangelicals, when the media says white evangelicals, the question is, uh, what is the operative word in that phrase? Is it white or evangelical? Hmm. Is it Christian or white? And that's the problem here. And so rather than giving them arguments and Uh, here's what COVID shows or whatever. What I'm saying to them is think about your black brothers and sisters and how differently they feel about this election than you do. I mean, think about this. All black pastors that I know, black parents that I know, are saying this is a life and death election for us. What does that mean? And they say, it's about the future and safety of our children. So what, what does it mean if white evangelicals are voting so differently than black evangelicals? And the black church often doesn't use that term, evangelical, mm-hmm. but there is evangelicals, white evangelicals are. So what does it mean for white Christians to feel like, I'm voting totally differently than all, almost all my black brothers and sisters in the body of Christ? That's a huge issue for us that is it's more than political. It's not just theological. It's also a body of Christ issue. So I want them to know and understand what this election is feeling like mm. for black black Christians, believers in Christ, who are people of color. It's totally different experience they're feeling. And I think white Christians need to pay attention to that. Mm. So what are you telling people of faith as you're trying to encourage them to think more about racial justice as they're filling out their ballots. I know that uh, you are a pretty progressive guy in general and probably even taking religion or race out of the, the, the picture would favor the Democratic candidate for president. But but put that in these religious and, and racial terms. What are you counseling people that they, they should be doing? Well, I, uh, uh, Stephen, I've never endorsed a candidate in all my many years of this work, I've had advised candidates and tried to help them, and because I always think we we can do better than most of them are, are doing. <laughs> but this time, I for the first time ever, uh, I said to the Biden campaign, "If you're willing to make racism a religious issue in this campaign, mm-hmm. say that, name that, then I will support that." And they have, they have. So. A number of faith leaders have said said elections are always imperfect, and so are candidates. But this is a this is a moment. Uh, white supremacy 
is anti-God, anti-Genesis, anti-God's purposes. It can't be reconciled with the Bible whatsoever. It's contrary to everything our Bible says. And so I was watching, you know, uh, as, as you were too, I'm sure, last week when the lines uh, began to form. These white governors in Texas and Georgia uh, tried to suppress the early vote by cutting down polling places. And all of a sudden, all these people were waiting in lines, uh, record numbers. Now it's happening all over the country. And see, it reminded me of the South African election, the mm-hmm. first free South African election. And I was very involved in that, and at the inauguration of Nelson Mandela. And they're standing up. They're standing up. And despite the voter suppression and the threat, real threat now, of voter intimidation. And so we're working with black clergy, with white allies all over the country in nine key states, of course, Michigan is one, who are doing voter protection. It's called lawyers and callers. And and callers, clergy, are with lawyers going to be at all these uh, vulnerable polling places in Detroit. It's organized. I can tell you who's doing it. It's, It's a powerful thing. I'm on calls every week with clergy in Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Florida, North mm. Carolina, uh, Georgia, Arizona, everywhere, because here black clergy, uh, knowing they have to protect the black vote in their communities. Now, what do white Christians think about that? They, these are facts. These are demonstrable, systemic plans to steal the election by suppressing black votes. That's not rhetoric. That's fact. That's happening all over the country. Black clergy are standing up. And what do white clergy and white, a lot of white clergy now are joining black clergy in protecting black votes. So this is really a choice here. What kind of country are we going to be? Is is racism a deal breaker for Christians or not? And if it isn't a deal breaker for Christians, white Christians, we have a problem. Mm-hmm. And talk about the ways in which this looks different from the black evangelical side or just uh, the black Christian side, uh, the, 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 the role that religion has played historically in black liberation, the, the, the role it played specifically in the civil rights movement, uh, it does still look different today than it did then. When we think about uh, the BLM protests, for instance, uh, this summer, this massive movement that has sprung out of the the absolute fury over police brutality and, and all of these systemic issues that we've dealt with for centuries now. Um, religion is playing a different role, I feel, than it did before, even in the in, in the way that uh, that people respond politically to these to these issues uh, in in terms of African Americans and African Americans of of faith. Well, the the um, uh, Black Lives Matter movement uh, didn't arise out of the churches, right. the civil rights struggle that you've talked about before, but it really has 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 really galvanized uh, so many people in the streets, and uh, you know black pastors in many places are really standing alongside along with uh, I've been in Detroit and I've I've seen those black pastors standing alongside those young people in fact a thousand young pastors black pastors mm-hmm. are involved in this voter protection plan mm-hmm. and you're going to see at polling places all over the four cities 
in nine states, 15 polling places, and you're going to see older and younger black pastors with black poll workers as volunteers. Uh, people are being trained, and we're training. We did a training last night in de-escalation in, about potential violence at the polls. There will be clergy present in their collars, providing presence and peaceful. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, not peace lovers, peacemakers, and we will be doing that. And so I think there's a real coming to, together in, in, in churches and young people in the streets. The, this, this, the protest that you talk about is galvanized. Mm-hmm. The protest is turning into vote. Protest is good. I was in all those street demonstrations, too, in Washington, mm-hmm. D.C., uh, but now it's turning into the, the vote. This is, this is the most important election in my lifetime, and I'm 72 years old. It's been a long time, and this is a time when, when our faith is on the ballot. Democracy is on the ballot. Our faith is on, on the ballot. So in Detroit, you know, Reverend Dr. Steve Bland, Liberty Temple Baptist Church, mm-hmm. and Reverend Dr. James Perkins, Greater Christ Baptist Church, are the two leaders in Detroit of this Lawyers and Collars Turnout Sunday plan. And they're organized. They're organized in Detroit, other cities around Michigan, and it's, it's black clergy, it's young people, and we're coming together to protect the vote. And it's, 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 a, it's a feeling that every, every, every black pastor, these have been the best calls I've had, Steve, all <laughs> summer and spring, very hopeful calls. We're organized, and we're ready. They're planning to steal the black vote. And we are coming together, not just Christians, but young people in the streets mm-hmm. who are pouring into these early voting places. So this is happening all over the country where we're coming together here because this vote is about uh, literally the safety and the future of black children, black and brown children. Mm. Uh, last question. Do you feel like there is daylight, I guess, opening up on the white evangelical side about this issue? And and is that issue being driven perhaps by the awful behavior of the president of the United States? I mean, white evangelicals turned out big time for the president in 2016. Are we likely to see a fall off among that demographic this time, not just because of the focus on racism and systemic inequality right now, but but also because you've got a president who has really not honored uh, the faith aspect of of that party or of or of our nation. I mean, there there isn't a whole lot he does that reflects much faith at all. Are white evangelicals ready to make a break and do something different? You just asked the most important question, which we won't know until the votes are tallied. But here's a hopeful sign. The National Association of Evangelicals, NAE, just a whole front page or a whole full page ad in the Washington Post. The NAE leadership now, for the first time, is multiracial. Mm-hmm. Walter Kim, Asian American, uh, John Jenkins, chair of the board, African American. Uh, th- this is this is a multiracial leadership now, and they are saying that racism is in fact a faith issue. Uh, go to the NAE web- website; you'll check it out. And the leadership is saying something different now. Whether or not a white evangelical constituents respond 
is not yet known, but I'll say two things. One, um, black churches, black pastors are watching what white churches and white evangelicals do. Mm-hmm. And this is evangelicals, Catholics too, mainline. Most, the majority of white Christians, majority of all white Christians voted for Donald Trump last time. Yeah. And they have seen Charlottesville. They have seen him refuse to condemn white supremacy and supremacists. Donald Trump is fueling, fueling racial grievance, hatred, and violence. That is antichrist. That is simply antichrist. Mm. Uh, it's not just not faith, it's antichrist. Mm. And so we're going to see, and if, if white Christians don't stand up, a lot of black churches will say, we're done working with you going forward. And even deeper, a whole generation of young people, multiracial young that you see in the streets, uh, they're not going to go to church anymore. So this is a test. This is not about just an election. This is about the integrity of the church. And finally, in the end, uh, is what does white Christian mean? What's the operative word? Is the operative word Christian? If the operative word is Christian, you must vote against racism. If the operative word is white, uh, as some said last time, we, we didn't vote for the, his bigotry. We voted for other moral issues. And a black evangelical woman on the same call I had with those white evangelical leaders said, oh, so racism isn't a deal breaker for you then, huh? Mm-hmm. Silence the call. Now we've seen he's running on racism. Yeah. He's using, exploiting. He is deliberately using the division and the and the violation of the image of God in his campaign. This is a man who's running on racism, and for that, that's a deal breaker. It should be for Christians right. if we're Christian first and not just white. Yeah. Okay, Jim Wallace, founder, president, and editor in chief of Sojourners. It is always, always great to have you on the air with us here. Thanks so much for joining us today. My blessing. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk with Eugene Scott of the Washington Post about the intersection of faith and politics in 2020. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for joining us. We are continuing to explore today the intersection of faith and politics for the rest of this hour, exploring how various religious groups have aligned themselves with political parties in the past and in the present. Our next guest says this one narrative in particular, which claims that the Democratic Party is for non-religious people, is not and has never been true, despite Republican attempts to create that narrative. Eugene Scott covers identity politics for The Washington Post, and he joins us now to talk more about this issue. Eugene, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So let's start with this misperception about the faithless Democratic Party, which Trump is really pushing. Uh, where did this characterization even come from? 
Well, it's really rooted uh, in a myth uh, perpetuated by the religious right, uh, which is, you know, a movement whose idea of faith is pretty narrow and pretty uh, consistent with the values of white evangelicalism. Uh, But it fails to acknowledge that uh, the Democratic Party is home to most black voters and most black voters self-identify as a Christian. It's also historically been home to most white mainliners and white Catholics as well. And we also know that faith exists outside of Christianity, and and the Democratic Party uh, overwhelmingly attracts uh, Jewish voters and Muslim voters and other religious minorities. And so uh, what is really being said is that um, the Democratic Party is home to people who do not believe the way that white evangelicals believe, And, and that is actually true. But that doesn't mean that it is home to a community of people who have no faith. Hmm. So, so one of the things that I think is true here is is that we, as a nation, we define faith really differently depending on who, whom you're talking to. Uh, white evangelicals think of faith in a very uh, fire and brimstone. I think. Uh, way about what faith is and what it should compel us to do. Uh, other religious groups define it more along the lines of service and empathy and and charity. Uh, the, the, those 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 two conflicting visions, I think, are what drive some of this political narrative. When you when you talk about uh, someone like Donald Trump, you talk about white evangelicals and their their enthusiasm for him. It's just that they see it fundamentally differently. I think that's partly true. I think what's also true is that there's even diversity within white evangelicalism in terms of how faith is defined. And there are some white evangelicals who would probably not consider other white evangelicals uh, people of deep conviction. And one of the challenges with this worldview is that it supposes that uh, anyone has a monopoly on how we uh, define faith. Mm. And, and that's certainly, you know, troublesome and problematic to say the least, because uh, faith uh, is, is largely personal, and it's largely a social construct, and people are different as are their constructs. Uh, but one of the things I like to talk about a lot is the uh, reality that all of us are people of faith. All of us have values and beliefs and systems that govern us, even if that does not include, uh, you know, an organized religion or framed construct that has been passed down through history. And one of the things we're seeing uh, right now in our society, especially with the younger voters, is uh, the growing population of religiously unaffiliated uh, voters or even none. And I think uh, a lot of times very conservative Christians interpret that as being without faith altogether, and that's not what that means either. It just means that these people uh, do not associate formally with an organized religion. Um, and so that that makes it really difficult to identify this group of people, and this group of people historically, or at least you know, recently tends to vote for the Democratic Party as well. And so that also pushes back on the idea uh, that the Democratic Party is a party without people of faith. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also wonder if you can talk about the special role that I think the current president of the United States plays in this narrative. I don't know that we've ever had a leader whose persona, whose actions 
whose demeanor was more divisive along religious or racial lines than the current president. And it seems to me Donald Trump did very well uh, among white evangelicals in 2016. Uh, they've had four years to see what he was uh, he was going to do. It, it, it strikes me that there is a really different question being posed to voters of faith in 2020 than even was in 2016. And the, the president himself is the driver behind that question. It, it seems to me that, that he is challenging these notions of faith in a really different way than we've seen other leaders. I would agree. And, and I think that question overwhelmingly and quite clearly is, does Donald Trump align with your deeply held convictions as defined or described by your religious faith? And that's what many people of faith are having to ask themselves. And I think one thing that's really interesting about uh, the Trump presidency, or should I say the campaign, um, is that not only did it win the support of white evangelicals, which quite frankly uh, wasn't surprising because uh, the Republican Party has been winning the support of white evangelicals for a long since time. At, mm. at least 1984, but earlier, I mean, for a very long time, as you uh, just mentioned. Uh, but he also won the support of white mainliners and white Catholics. And these are groups that don't always vote for the Republican Party. And so um, what I think exit polls showed us about support for Trump, um, it wasn't that he won Christian voters overwhelmingly. He won white people overwhelmingly. Right. And that's why so many people believe that the role of race and culture has been so fundamental uh, to the Trump vision of a great America. Mm. I'm talking with Eugene Scott, who covers uh, identity politics for The Washington Post. We're talking about the role of religion uh, in the decisions that we're going to make in just a little more than a week on Election Day 2020. We're talking about the idea of religion inside our political uh, infrastructure here in the in the nation and how people make decisions about candidates and issues based on their religious views. We would love to hear from you this hour as well. Are you a religious person who's voting in this election? Call and tell us what role your faith plays in your political decisions. Uh, Are reproductive rights, our family values, or morality weighing on you as you choose a presidential candidate to support in the 2020 race? Uh, Are you a religious person who voted for Donald Trump in 2016? Would love to hear from you about why you made that choice and what you think about that candidacy four years later. What do you think about the things that the president has done and said over the last four years? Do they change your mind uh, from a religious perspective or do they reinforce the decision that you made in 2016? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Uh, We also would love to hear from you uh, if your religious views Uh, influence the way that you're thinking about racism and systemic inequality in the context of the presidential race. Uh, What do you make of the massive movement inspired 
uh, by Black Lives Matter. And does that, if you are a religious person, uh, does that align with your religious values and influence the way that uh, you're going to vote uh, on November 3rd? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to Facebook and to Twitter, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, before we get to listeners, Eugene, I want to I want to ask you that question about uh, the role that systemic racism and advocating for equity and justice for people of color is playing in this religious dimension of uh, political choice. White evangelicals, I th- I feel this is one of the this is one of the toughest issues. Uh, for them. This is one of the issues that that always seems just beyond uh, much of their religious faith. Uh, It's front and center in the political discussion right now. Does it have an influence or does it potentially have an influence over the way that they're going to vote in November? You know, the role of racism uh, in this presidency has uh, been one that has dominated headlines and conversations, um, even to the degree that the president uh, perhaps would not like. Uh, so I think it has forced some voters to really reckon with uh, the words coming out of this administration, um, the policies and ideas that are being supported and pushed forward, and also the response from very uh, vocal and active white nationalists and supremacist organizations uh, to this presidency. And so I think what it has done has is forced some people of faith in support um, of this presidency to ask themselves, uh, is racism a sin? Uh, to what degree is it a sin? Uh, do they see it expressed unapologetically in this administration? And what are they going to do about it? What are they going to do about it? I think we've seen historically many, many conservative Christians uh, not factor in racism uh, on their list of essential like beliefs and uh, qualifiers for how they vote. Um, and I think this time uh, around, uh, that hasn't been as easy to ignore or look past as it has been in past elections. Hmm. Uh, do, do you feel as though... This might be the breaking point. I mean, that that Donald Trump uh, might be the the point at which this trend of white evangelicals to 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 go as hard Republican as they have and to often ignore some of these uh, issues in the background, which other candidates made easier, I think, uh, by not leaning into racism quite the way that the, the the current president has. I mean, is this is this where we start to see? perhaps that separation of the white evangelical vote and the Republican Party? There's no data to support that white evangelicals are backing away uh, from Trump and the GOP um, at any rate. Uh, In fact, one could argue quite the opposite. Uh, White evangelicals are the president's most faithful voting bloc, a second to Republicans themselves. And obviously we know there's some overlap between those two. But I think an interesting thing um, to talk about when we talk about a breaking point is that some predominantly white evangelical congregations have gotten whiter in the last four years. There have been multiple stories about how despite efforts of some predominantly white evangelical Uh, spaces to reconcile racially and become more diverse and actually make some strides in that area. 
uh, over the past few years, we are seeing uh, black Americans and Latino Americans and Asian Americans who once felt comfortable in some predominantly white faith spaces no longer feel comfortable in those spaces as they've watched their fellow Christians uh, become more aligned with Trump and his vision for America. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Call and tell us what role your religious views are playing in the decisions that you are about to make at the ballot box on November 3rd. Uh, what are the issues? What are the religious issues, uh, if that's true, that are motivating uh, your thinking right now? And which party, which candidates are the ones that animate uh, your religious views uh, the most. Uh, you can also go to Facebook or Twitter and uh, put comments there. We'll try to work you in. Uh, Anthony on Twitter says, uh, my faith and beliefs against war profiteering and corruption preclude me from voting for either Democrats or Republicans. Anthony uh, opting out of all of it uh, because of his religious views. Let's go to Mariah in Detroit. Mariah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Um, So I am Hispanic. I am a lifetime Democrat, just like my mom. Um, We are also both Democrats. I always have been. Um, I think you really have to look at the politician as a whole, right? Um, Donald Trump is pretty anti-Christ-like, taking food out of poor people's mouths, separating babies and their parents at the border, keeping them in cages. I heard on the show yesterday on NPR, 300 plus undocumented children are missing because of his um, separation orders, 500, per, 500 parents missing. You have to look at the, the politician um, as a whole. And if you claim to be Christian or Catholic or Jewish or anything else, Muslim, um, Donald Trump is nothing like what our religions teach us. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Mariah, I think, the, you know, the, there are a lot of Democrats who feel that way, who, who are religious. The question, I think, is always, whether Republicans who are, are people of faith also see it the same way. I mean, there, there, there is this competition, I think, of, of ideology and religious belief that makes that uh, more difficult for them. Um, okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Eugene Scott of The Washington Post. We'll also get to more of your comments. Linda in Dearborn, Dave in Clinton Township. Just hang on the line. We will hear from you next. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today. I'm Stephen Henderson, and you are listening to 1019 WDET. I'm glad you are with us today. My guest is Eugene Scott, who covers identity politics for The Washington Post. We're talking about religion and the 2020 election, the role that religious belief and faith play in the decisions that we are going to make in just a little more then a week. We also want to hear from you. Uh, what are you thinking about if you're a person of faith when you think about this election and all of the issues and all of the candidates uh, that are involved? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones to join the conversation. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter and we'll try to work you in. Let's go to Linda in Dearborn. Linda, welcome to the show. 
Hi, Stephen. Um, so I'm I'm not a Christian voter. I'm a Muslim voter, and mm-hmm. for me, when I think about my faith, and I think that probably a lot of people of different faiths think in this way. Also, I think about like whether or not I can um, stand against oppression mm-hmm. and against inequality, or whether I can st- like whether I support it in my vote, and so. I think the issues around racial inequality and all kinds of inequality in our society are really front and center for me in terms of how I vote. And even if I recognize that the other candidate is also imperfect and might perpetuate different kinds of uh, problematic uh, behaviors or oppressive policies, like what is the what is the best candidate so that we can move towards like a more just society? Hmm. Hmm. Linda, I, I really appreciate the call and the thoughts. Uh, Eugene Scott, I think there is there is something about being a member of a minority faith that aligns maybe more naturally with the uh, with the idea of uh, 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 sort of sticking with minority populations of other, of other kinds. In other words, uh, if you're a Muslim, as as Linda is, it's really easy to or easier to identify with uh, the issues that African Americans and other uh, Black and Brown people face in 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 our society. And so, uh, if you're Muslim, if you're Jewish, if you're Buddhist, uh, those 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 faith values translate pretty easily to some of the the political discussions and decisions that we're making. I think that's true. You know, one word that comes to mind that I've seen repeatedly throughout the last four years has been ally or allyship. Mm -hmm. And there's been a deep awareness among multiple members of historically marginalized groups that many of the battles that they have been fighting for decades and are currently fighting uh, against government leaders other groups are fighting as well. And so the need to take care of uh, the least of these or the forgotten or the underserved or uh, the marginalized is not something, as you noted, that's unique to uh, black people or Muslims or the LGBT community or immigrants or women and or working class people. And so what a lot of members of these groups, which often intersect with other groups have done is combine their efforts um, to try to push back against policies that they have found to be harmful with the hope uh, that it could lead to some real change in Washington. And I think everyone's uh, wondering and watching to see if that will actually happen. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing that's really important to note is that many of these people's approach to these policy issues have been shaped by their religious convictions. Mm, yeah. No, that's a, I think that's a really great, uh, a really great point. Linda, I really appreciate the call uh, and your insights. Let's go to Dave in Clinton Township. Dave, welcome to the show. Hello. Hi. Oh, thanks. Thanks for being here and thanks for caring about us. Sure. Uh, I'm a, I'm born and raised Lutheran. Well, actually that's not fair. I was a, uh, uh, the product of a, uh, a Catholic father and a uh, Presbyterian mother. <laughs> and so the closest church was the Lutheran, so I became a Lutheran. I went to three years of catechism, uh, which taught me that the only people that were going to go to heaven were Lutherans. Uh, and I uh, went to the service 
and I met people of all races, and I was uh, stationed in Connecticut, so I met a lot of Jewish people. Hmm. Uh, I had learned, and I don't mean directly, but I had learned that Jews were all all multi multimillionaires, and, and they had all the money in the world. And uh, then I found out that, uh, uh, guess who drives a subway uh, on, in, in, in New York City? Uh, and that's, I found that out by talking to friends that were Jewish and, on my sub. But for me, my catechism um, taught me exclusivism, taught me uh, separatism. Uh, I learned in real life that, uh, that God loves us all. The, the the long the short and the tall and I uh, it, it, it it my I belong to a twelve step program uh, that that uh, saved my life saved me it saved me in more than one way because I don't my my Christianity is still there I go to church most Sundays uh, but I get my higher power through my twelve step program mm. uh, and that's that's just a personal thing yeah. but my higher power wants to be happy joyous and free. So, he wants me to love other people. So, Dave, tell me about how this really complex and interesting faith story influences your your political thoughts. What what what's animating your political decisions this year? Um, I was raised in a, in a very uh, we all, we have, the only paper we ever took was the Detroit Times. I'm an old fart. Yeah, I was going to say that's very long ago. <laughs> and and uh, my you know my dad was very very left. Um, but he never voted. Um, it, to me, uh, I've always been uh, a, a Democrat, but but a, a relatively conservative Democrat until the last few years. Mm. Uh, I voted for Milliken. Uh, other than that, I think I voted almost always for for Democrats. Uh, but the reality is, for me, um, that that my looking around has taught me. Yeah. Uh, my 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 church sponsored, and, and I mean it's to their credit. I don't sponsored many, many people to come from Eastern Europe to come over here after the war. Again, I'm, I'm an old fart, so after the war and that, and and I'm honored by that. But you don't see the outreach to the poverty in today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a, a, a wealth gap that's getting greater and greater and greater, and nobody seems to be able to do anything about it. Yeah. And that, that's why aren't the churches doing it? Why aren't they saying something? Yeah. Uh, the, the rich are getting richer. That's why I, I go to church most Sunday, but I couldn't even set foot in an evangelical church because they, quite frankly, want the rich to get rich. They all want to be rich. Mm. If, if you watch one of those shows, I've watched it a few times on television, and they preach money, money, money. Yeah. Dave, uh, I, I, I don't want to cut you off, but we're going we're gonna to run out of time. But I really appreciate uh, that, your, your story and, and your thoughts here. I think it's a really really complex uh, narrative that you're un, un, unfolding for us here. And I think that is really common, that, that for all of us, this is, uh, this is tricky stuff, and there are a lot of different experiences and influences involved. Dave, thanks very much for the call. I want to go to another David in Commerce Township really quick. Uh, Dave, I've only got a couple minutes left, but I want to get you in here. Good morning. Hi. Go ahead. I am a Christian. I'm a member of the United Methodist Church, and we have at the top of our bulletin a slogan, and it's very simple. It says, open hearts, open minds, open doors. And to me, Donald Trump is the antithesis Hmm. of all three, Hmm. not only in his boorish behavior, but also in the policies that he pushes. Hmm. It's that simple. Yeah. 
uh, David, uh, appreciate the call and thoughts. That's a very that's a very sim- simple way of, I think, uh, overlaying religious faith on uh, on on politics. Uh, Eugene Scott, uh, I've got about a minute left, but I want to get you to react to but what both Davids uh, are talking about in terms of religion and politics. No, I think um, they are making the point that so many people of faith who are voting against Donald Trump have been making for the past four years. Mm. Uh, his rhetoric, uh, his actions, and his policies just don't align well with uh, any of the major uh, religions that um, one would study based on their text. Um, and, and voters are looking for someone who um, is, has, who has a worldview that is more consistent uh, with the values that so many Americans have espoused for generations. And it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, this, uh, you know, this fall, this November, um, a lot to support that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Eugene Scott uh, of The Washington Post. It was really great to have you with us for this conversation. Thank you very much for joining. Thank you. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. I will be back tomorrow, and I hope you will too. We are going to have the second episode of our talks with local voters about the issues that are most important to them as we head into Election Day. And we, of course, are going to want to hear from you as well. What decisions are you making? Have you decided how you're going to vote yet, Uh, whether it's absentee or in person? And what's really uh, at the crux of your decision making as we get closer to Election Day? Of course, we will also talk about the presidential debate, uh, which is supposed to be happening this evening as well. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.